Welcome to the Academic Veterinarian Podcast with Dr. Nuno Carrero, where we explore career opportunities and discuss contemporary topics within the field of veterinary and animal science. Hello and welcome. My guest today is Leslie Blanchett. She's a teacher and chair of the Animal Science Department at Bristol County Agricultural High School, located in southeastern Massachusetts. She joins us today to give us an inside scoop of how to best prepare for a career in teaching. Welcome, Leslie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Great to see you. Before I continue, I should make it known to our listeners that Leslie and I attended the same high school, which is the high school where she teaches now. So excuse us if we reminisce a bit as we progress through the podcast. Uh, Leslie, obviously you are interested in animal sciences at a fairly young age since you attended an agricultural high school and majored in animal science. Can you start by sharing how that interest began and how you came to the decision to attend Burslaggy? I sure can. Um, Just like probably most children at a young age, I I found a passion in animals, dogs specifically. I love all types of animals, but especially dogs. Um, And so ever since I can remember, I always had a dog and cat in my household. I would, um, from the age of, I think, two or three, start dressing up my cat and uh, pushing her around in little doll carriages. Um, So I kind of have always loved animals, have always lived in a household that was full of animals, and it just kind of progressed as I got older um, until I went to high school. And um, I really only had some companion animals growing up. I never even really experienced much um, livestock or um, reptiles or fish. Um, So it was kind of an eye-opener to see all of the different types of um, careers that you can have in the industry as I got older and started attending Bristol Aggie. Great. And we'll, we'll talk about the student experience at Bristol Aggie a little bit later, but right after high school, what did you end up doing um, right after high school and, and kind of give us a sense of your path of how you came to uh, pursue a teaching career? So my path is, is, has a lot of detours, actually. Um, when I graduated high school, I had played sports, as you know. And um, from high school, I got a scholarship to play basketball. Unfortunately, my um, junior year of high school, I had torn most of my um, tendons in my ankle, needed corrective surgery. And so I took a year off from um, high school to college. Um, I took a year off to heal so that I could play basketball um, in college. During that time, I started working at an animal research facility in Boston. And so once I graduated high school, I had had surgery. I was working at a vet clinic at the time. And um, my teacher, Mrs. Payton, had called me up and said, I think that this is a great opportunity for you to go and work in a lab facility. I didn't really know much about it. I had learned about lab animal management in class, but I didn't really know much about it. So I went to Boston and I interviewed and I I was hired as an assistant lab animal technician. And I worked there for quite a few years. Um, I spent that year off just working in Boston at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in their research facility. It was an amazing experience to see kind of the research realm of things 
in the animal industry. Um, it's very different than anything I had done in the past. And then from there, I had gone on to college. I ended up, I started at Massasoit and I stayed there for two years. And then I went to UMass Amherst. And, you know, at UMass Amherst, I, I stayed there for a couple of years, graduated with a bachelor's um, as well as a teaching certificate, and then kind of moved on from there. So you actually were able to complete a teaching certificate while uh, finishing up your Bachelor of Science degree. Is that correct? At the time, yes. Um, UMass had a program where you could minor in vocational education. They have since gotten rid of that program. You can't do that anymore. But I was one of the last students that left UMass with a teaching certificate. Um, so I was able to take my preliminary courses while at UMass doing my undergraduate work as well. I would take those courses at night and get them. I got them all taken care of. So when I graduated, I was all set to apply for licensure at that point. If someone, say, you know, maybe high school student or someone um, doing their undergraduate work right now, if they decided they wanted to pursue a teaching career, um, just as you have in agricultural education, vocational education, what should be their steps? What's your advice to them? So I have a couple of um, things that I normally tell people when they ask me about teaching. Teaching is a great career. Um, obviously, I got into it for many different reasons, but to share your experiences with students who are just kind of learning out is is one of these things that is life changing um, for most people. And so for people that are interested in teaching, number one, I would always recommend getting as much animal experience as you possibly can if you want to be an animal science teacher. And one of the reasons for that is because you are molding the future of our industry. So in order to do that, you really need to know what you're doing. The second thing is obviously getting credentialed as, as a teacher. So in Massachusetts, there is a vocational teacher's license that someone can actually apply for. So you have academic teachers that apply for an academic license, and you have your vocational teachers that can apply for a vocational license. For those people who are interested in an animal science career as a teacher, there's a separate animal science uh, teaching certificate that you can that you can have. Um, now, you do have to have a bachelor's degree in order to apply for licensure. You do have to have years of experience in the industry. So you have to have at least three full-time years in the past seven years. So if you're working, let's say, at a vet clinic or um, a horse farm or you know a doggy daycare facility, you would have had to, in the last seven years, work three years. A lot of people don't understand that aspect of, of the job and, and they think that they can come you know, right out of college and apply for teacher licensure without that experience, but that experience is essential. So you do have to have a bachelor's degree, you have to have your years of experience in there. You do have to pass a couple of tests. There's your typical MTELs. You can take either your MTEL or the vocational portion of that, which is the VTEL. You also need to take a test that um, gauges your competency in animal science. There's a written test and a performance test. So those people who want to become animal science teachers, um, you have a lot of testing that you have to do. You have to prove that you understand um, what it takes to work with animals. And you have to prove that both on a written test as well as on a performance test where you're actually doing things with animals like uh, putting, you know, grooming a dog or, or, or putting halters on cows or doing uh, restraints on small animals. So you have to kind of perform skills. And then 
Leslie, can I um, just ask, as far as a, the bachelor's degree, the requirement, mm -hmm. does it have to be a particular major or, or just has to be a bachelor's degree? So that's a great question, you know. So I believe that there, and now, you know, I'm not the end-all be-all of Massachusetts vocational uh, teacher licensure. I can just tell you my experiences. Um, I do know that there have been people who I believe have gotten waivers if they have other uh, bachelor's degrees. I don't know the ins and outs of that. If you have a degree in animal science, that's obviously best. If you have a degree in something else, I believe that the state will work with those people and try to get them licensed as well. But, you know, don't quote me on that because I don't know how the ins and outs of that works. Great. Thank you. And then just to follow up also on the experience, you mentioned three years of experience uh, related to to animal science mm -hmm. within seven years. So that would that be three continuous years or would it have to or could it be three years kind of interspersed in those seven years? It can be broken up. It could be part-time as well. So students that are coming right out of college can still apply as long as they put those years together. I know when I graduated college, I went into teaching after I graduated college. So I just had to go back and get, I had multiple different places that I had worked. So I worked at a vet clinic. I worked at a dairy farm. I worked at the research facility, a horse farm. So I just had to make contact with some of my previous employers get letters stating that I had worked there. But yes, it can be broken up. That's why you, you know, they take the last seven years because they do want relevant work experience. You know, they don't want somebody who is maybe um, hasn't worked in the industry for 20 years and, you know, now kind of coming into teaching. So they want re relative work experience. So, but it can be broken up and it can be part-time. It doesn't have to be three years full-time. However, the hours have to equate to three years full-time. It could be part-time work. Those hours can be added up to equate to three full-time years of work. Yes, makes sense. Uh, my other question is, it sounds like students that are earning a bachelor's degree could also be earning that experience at the same time. It doesn't have to be after they graduate. Is that correct? Yes, I believe that is correct. And then you, you started talking about the testing. When would students be able to begin those different tests in order to become a certified teacher in the animal sciences? So there's a couple of different licensures that Massachusetts offers. And when you go on to the Massachusetts Department of Education website, there's a great resource because on the website, they actually have a separate website for vocational technical education. That's a great resource. It has um, handbooks that people can download that gives you a step-by-step -step of what you need to do and how you need to get each of the licenses. The first license that, that a student interested in teaching would get would be their preliminary license. So to get your preliminary license, again, you have to have that work experience. You have to have your bachelor's degree. And you have to pass these tests, your MTELs or your VTELs, a passing score on the vocational technical literacy um, test, that's your VTEL, um, a passing score on your animal science literacy skills, and a passing score on your animal science performance test. So those are the tests. And then once you have, so that's to get your preliminary license. Mm -hmm. And so what if you do get a preliminary license, what does that allow you to do? So your preliminary license allows you to start teaching. 
your preliminary license basically kind of sets you up to work toward your professional license. Um, with a preliminary license, you can teach at a school. You have five years to work from your preliminary license to your professional license. In those five years, there's certain things that you have to do. You have to take seven courses through what's called MAVA, Massachusetts Association of Vocational Administrators. They set forth these seven different courses that every single vocational teacher needs. These are the courses that, as I told you before, I took at UMass. These are kind of like the courses that you learn to be a teacher, right? So you learn on learn about um, students with special needs. You learn how to differentiate in the classroom. You learn about all of the different elements that come with IEPs and 504s. These are the classes that you have to get your foundation of teaching knowledge with. You do a lot of hands-on work in these classes. These classes here are college-level classes. So it's basically like just, you know, taking a graduate-level class. One of the courses that you do have to take is an SCI course, and that's for every educator in Massachusetts. We need to take them to make sure that we know how to best support students that are coming into the classroom that maybe have come from a different country and maybe don't speak English. So every single teacher in Massachusetts, regardless of if you're teaching English or social studies or animal science or plant science, you know, you need to have these foundation skills in your tool belt so that you know how to best um, assist a student of any ability in your classroom. So these seven courses, um, you can take over your five-year time frame when you have your preliminary license. You need to, in that five years as well, spend at least three years in the classroom. So they want to make sure if someone's moving from a, a preliminary license to a professional license that they've actually had spent time in the classroom teaching students. So you have to work for three years of that five years. You also have to go through a two-year mentorship program where they, they take a first or second year teacher and they give them a mentor. And this mentor kind of helps them kind of progress through the first couple of years. We always say the first two years are the hardest in teaching. That's where we lose a lot of people because it is a very stressful job. It's very time consuming and it's a lot to deal with in the first couple of years. So we put them into a mentorship program so that over those first couple of years, they have someone to lean on to help mentor them through kind of those, those times. So to go from your preliminary to your professional license, again, it's five years. You have to take seven different courses. You have to spend three years in the classroom and you go through a mentorship program. Great. So once you get your professional license, I'm assuming in order to keep it, you need to do other things such as continuing education and uh, recertification. Could you maybe talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's when the fun starts. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> so once you get your professional license, you are correct. So every teacher, um, and regardless of if you're an academic teacher or vocational teacher, we go through kind of the same licensure um, process, relicensure process that everybody does. Um, so you have your license for five years. And in that five years, you do have to demonstrate that you're a sound teacher. You go through an evaluation process every single year that your administrators uh, put you through. So you do have to adhere to all of the evaluation guidelines. You also need to get uh, what's called professional development points in education. So there are every five years, we have to get 150 professional development points or PDPs. 
And some of them have to be in certain areas. So for us, and I'm sure I'm probably going to forget this, but you have to have at least a certain amount of time in your subject area. So it would be animal science. So I need to make sure that I'm taking workshops or seminars or classes in animal science to stay current. I also have to take some courses in special education, in safety. Um, safety is a huge component to our job, not only teaching kids, but actually keeping them safe. We have to have a certain amount of time in pedagogy. So um, we have to keep up with teaching strategies. Um, we have to make sure that we are keeping up with the times in all of these different areas so that we can stay relevant in our teaching. So yes, we do have to have um, a variety of different professional development opportunities that we do every five years. Most teachers though, you know, I just relicensed last year and I already have well over 150 hours of PDP just because we're constantly doing things. So it's it's somewhat easy to get professional development points just because you're always constantly learning and doing things. However, to get them in the right category sometimes is difficult. Wow, that's really, really eye-opening, I got to say. And I hope our listeners, whether you are perspective teacher or even a parent with students in school that they really appreciate what teachers have to go through and then what they have to go through to stay up to date and um, keep keep your students uh, safe and up to date with information. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask is because I, I did a little bit of research and I wasn't sure if a master's degree is really required uh, to keep a professional license in Massachusetts or not. For vocational teachers, it's not required. For academic teachers, I believe it is. Vocational teachers, no, it's not required. However, I will say two things. One is that in every single school in Massachusetts, we have what's called a teacher's contract. Your pay usually revolves around how much education you have. So if a teacher keeps taking courses and earns their master's or earns their doctorate degree, they're going to move up the columns in pay. So it's actually beneficial for a vocational teacher to have their master's um, degree. The other thing I will say is that back when we talked about getting licenses and we talked about those seven courses that we have to take, those courses sometimes can actually be rolled in, most of the time I would say, can be rolled into a graduate program. So I'll give you an example. One of my teachers that just started um, last year, she's taken or, or will be done with her seven courses. She only needs four more or five more courses to actually fulfill her master's degree. So most vocational teachers do go on for to receive their master's degree just because they've already taken those seven courses and it's kind of silly to not keep going, right? So, and it's only a few more classes to get your master's. So most most teachers do have their masters. Great, excellent information. And you just had touched on kind of salary expectations. So maybe could you describe or go into that a little bit more? What is the salary expectation for a teacher or specifically a vocational agricultural teacher uh, in the profession now? Sure. I can only speak on Massachusetts and I can only speak on vocational teachers. But let me start by saying that every school is different. Every school, like I mentioned before, does have what's called a teacher's contract. Most schools have unions and the teachers are in a union and they bargain their own contract. So one example, I've taught at two vocational schools in Massachusetts. Um, your salary 
column depends on how much education or experience you have. Each school is a little bit different. At the school that I'm teaching now, I would say a good estimated starting teaching salary is around 50000 Now, the other thing to consider, too, is the benefits that come along with that. Some schools, like my school is a county school, so we have some benefits that are beneficial. So some schools have very good benefits, maybe have a little bit less pay. Other schools might have more pay but less benefits, if that makes sense. So when you're taking a look at schools and taking a look at um, you know, where you think you might wanna be, taking a look at the teacher's contract ahead of time, they're all usually online. You can, you can get a copy of them or when they go for an interview, they can certainly ask for a, con- uh, a copy of the contract. And actually seeing what the benefits are like would help someone maybe decide whether or not teaching is right for them. But the benefits sometimes are key, especially when we're talking about teaching. Some schools do offer things like, you know, extra money towards insurance or longevity pay, or, you know, if you don't take the health insurance, you get a bonus. So it really kind of all depends on the school though, and the contract. But I would say average pay starting out is around 50,000. And then as you progress throughout your years, as you move up in your contract, And if you get more, um, if you earn more degrees, your pay goes up from there. So Leslie, why did you decide to enter um, teaching and pursue a teaching career? While I was at Bristol Aggie, I was extremely involved in the National FFA organization, which is an organization for students enrolled in agricultural education. Um, I was um, a chapter president. I became um, a state officer. I then went on to work for the National FFA organization in Washington, D.C., and it was through the National FFA organization that I just kind of, I guess, evolved to have a passion for teaching and evolved to just kind of working with with kids and students. Um, And so it was just kind of a natural progression for me from going from the National FFA organization where I was teaching students from all around the country to when I graduated college. Um, I knew that teaching was kind of something that I wanted to do. I also thought the schedule wasn't too bad. Having the summers off, I really enjoyed that. I was an avid scuba diver. So I definitely enjoyed the idea of having summers off. So I would say that's probably why I got into teaching. And, you know, it's a career that a lot of people think is easy, but it's not. And there's a lot of time and energy that goes into it. Um, You don't just leave at the end of the day and pack up your stuff and go home, you're constantly worrying about students and making, you know, thinking about the next day's lesson plan and whether or not, you know, this student is going to turn in their work or, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of kind of work that teachers do outside of the school. And I think if more people kind of realize that, I think that they would maybe appreciate teachers a little bit more. Yeah. Speaking of those challenges, Can you expand on that? Any other types of challenges that uh, people should expect as they enter teaching career? Teaching is very challenging. It's a lot of hard work. And like I mentioned before, that your hardest years are usually your first couple. You know, I've been teaching since 2001, and I feel like every year is is difficult just because there's new challenges every single every single year. This year, obviously, is the mountain of changes, right? Where we're going from teaching vocationally hands-on to virtual. I'm actually loving teaching this year because it kind of has re- motivated me to try new things in the classroom and to kind of bring in some new ideas. 
but every year is definitely challenging. You have lots of new regulations and stipulations that teachers have to adhere to. There's constant changing with laws. There's definitely, there's always kind of new courses that you have to take, new teaching regiments that you have to learn. Um, so there's always something to learn when it comes to teaching. And when it comes to teaching high school students is even more difficult because you do have, in a vocational school, we're kind of lucky. Kids like to go to a vocational school. We usually don't have much of an attendance issue. We usually don't have much of a disciplinary issue. However, they're teenagers, right? And so, you know, we have to deal with what comes with teaching a teenager. We were all teenagers once. We totally understand that. So kind of taking, you know, making sure you're one step or two steps ahead of the kids and making sure that you really know what you're talking about. It's kind of a daily challenge as well. So those are the challenges, but so what, what keeps you going? What are some of the rewards of teaching? I think it's the kids. It's exciting to go to class every day and see kids excited about working in the industry. As vocational teachers, we're sharing what we love to do. We're sharing our passion with students. And I think seeing them every single day interested and wanting to learn about something is, I think, what keeps us going. You know, I'm really lucky that animal science tends to be one of the sought-after majors of most vocational schools. So I usually have kind of the cream of the crop of the kids. You know, they're all extremely intelligent. They're all motivated. They want to learn about animals. And I, that's exciting. You know, it's exciting to kind of go into a classroom and have right away like 10 kids asking questions about stuff, uh, wanting to know more you know, I have to stay on my toes because, you know, like right now I have a sophomore class that asked me so many interesting questions. And sometimes I don't even know the answer to them. And I'll tell them, you know, I don't know, let's look it up. But they're just so inquisitive and just wanting to learn more every single day. So I think that's what, what keeps, you know, teachers going the most is, is the students make, you know, sometimes you have students in your classroom that, they don't have food at home. They don't have uh, a parent that is a good role model. And they take a look at their teachers and you become their role models and you become the person that they want to be like. And so like thinking of that every single day as you enter the classroom, that one of these kids is looking to you to be their role model, I think is, is a special thing. And um, I think if you teach with that in mind every day, I think that you'll be successful. That's great. And I'm sure everyone listening to this could attest to maybe a teacher in their life that has been that has made a big impact right certainly i can i can remember teachers from elementary middle school high school all the way through college that um, has impacted you in your career and so yeah i can totally relate to what you just said leslie let's transition to talk about Bristol-Aggie as an example of what an agricultural high school education is like what is the student experience like at Bristol Aggie? So at many vocational schools in Massachusetts, and especially the agricultural schools, the student experience is somewhat similar, but different at the same time. At Bristol Aggie, our campus is set up more so like a college campus. We have multiple buildings where students can move between. They have classes in various different buildings throughout the day. Um, so they're pretty independent. We have a, a school culture that, and that's one of the special things about our school, and I would say special things about most agricultural schools in Massachusetts and vocational schools, you have a certain school culture. And that culture 
it's more like a family than anything. Our school, we only have about 450 students. Most vocational schools, agricultural schools in Massachusetts, they do have kind of lower numbers than your typical school. Um, and you have students that are coming from various different towns and cities. Our school, we have, I believe, we have kids from 20 to 25 or six different towns and cities that come together. Um, so you have kids of all different walks of life. You have some students that live in a fourth floor apartment and some students that live on a 30 acre farm. And so they're all coming together and, and it's kind of like a melting pot of education. You know, so our, our students kind of come from wherever and, you know, we, we welcome everybody. Our school in general, we have a very accepting school. A lot of our students, um, again, kind of come from their typical town high school to, to come to Bristol Aggie. And they want to learn about agriculture. They want to learn about animal science or plant science or agricultural mechanics or natural resources. So they have a passion and that's why they're there. And so I think that's what drives them a little bit more than your typical student. And like I mentioned before, we usually don't have an attendance issue. I think our attendance rate is something like 97%, which is kind of unheard of in most schools. Um, most schools, you know, you have a much lower attendance rate, but at the agricultural schools, you definitely have a much higher attendance rate because students want to be there. They enjoy coming not only to see their friends, but they enjoy doing what they like to do, what they're passionate about. Our students spend most of their time hands-on. Um, so when we have them in the classroom, they're working with animals or they're outside climbing trees or they're doing floral arrangements. So they're actually learning with their hands. Um, they're not so much inside of a classroom and, you know, taking notes all day. They do a little bit of that. Um, they definitely are ready for college when they leave, but our students are actively working in the industry. The other thing with vocational schools that's a little bit different than your typical academic school is that our students take part in experiences like internships and cooperative placement where they can actually get out of school and go work in the industry. And I think that kind of sets them apart from some of your other, you know, kids who are applying for colleges is that they've actually, they've worked for veterinarians. They've gone on these awesome internships. They've, they've done things outside of the classroom to kind of, you know, hone in those skills that they learned. So we offer kids a variety of different resources and experiences that they can kind of take what they're learning in the classroom and apply it to real life days in the industry. And so what, what types of majors at Bristol Aggie right now, what, what is being offered? Currently right now we have animal science. Animal science consists of both small and large animals. We have agricultural mechanics, natural resources, floriculture, arbor, landscaping. Next year, we're actually going to be um, offering a new major, environmental technology. We've just recently gone through um, a massive expansion, and um, we're going to be offering environmental technology. I believe it's starting next school year. Do the students there still get to try out the different majors their first year and explore uh, those, those professions? They do, and that's actually mandated by the state. So every single vocational school does have to offer freshmen what's called an exploratory program. So students will go through this exploratory program where they're just trying out all of the different types of majors that are offered. At our school, each student goes through every single major that we offer. We want students to go through each major because 
you know, when students come to Bristol Aggie or when they go to any other vocational school, they might go there with the idea that they they want to be a veterinarian. That's what they want to do. They've never experienced any of the other different majors. So we tend to open their eyes quite a bit to a lot of different industries in agriculture. And sometimes students change their mind. So that exploratory period is usually during the freshman year. And the students go towards to the students go to a class in every single major to experience what that major has to offer. And that's with every vocational school. That's great. And I remember that experience, you know, when we were in high school, I remember us that first year rotating through every major. And I had to say, I really enjoyed it, even though you know, my interest is animal science and I ended up majoring in animal science, I would have still done that first year all over again because of the experiences and the skills that I gained in that year. I still use them today. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I still do. I can still probably do my climbing knots. Um, I remember a small engine repair, which helps me out with my lawnmower every once in a while. Yeah. Right. So uh, landscaping, I keep my landscaping skills at a slight secret. Although over time, my wife has found out. She's like, where'd you get these landscaping skills? And uh, now that means she just makes me uh, a bigger list, a bigger honeydew right. list. Right, right. So I really enjoyed that first year and, I, and I'm glad that students still do that. I think it really opens up their eyes and they can gain exceptional skills. It is important. It is one of those things where, you know, not only do you learn important skills, but it also opens your eyes up to other careers that you weren't thinking about, you know? And I think that with kids, you know, obviously when when you ask a five-year-old what they want to do, it's always a, a doctor or a veterinarian or a lawyer, and, and they don't really understand or they're not educated on some of the other career choices that there are. So I think it is important to kind of show kids um, how there are different paths in life. Absolutely. And you mentioned that the school is undergoing a major expansion. What can you share about that? What's going on on campus and what are new students uh, to expect? Sure. Um, yes, we have undergone a large multi-million dollar expansion. We have, um, we're actually in the process right now of finishing up a couple of new buildings, which we should be moving into in another week or so. We are pretty excited about it. At Bristol Aggie, we have the same buildings that we've been, well, first off, Bristol Aggie is over 100 years old. And their main building, Gilbert Hall, is the same building or partially the same building that was built 100 years ago. Um, we have been gone, you know, teaching in the same buildings for year after year after year. There hasn't really been much expansion to the school ever since we've gone there. I mean, when we went there, we had the same buildings, the same classrooms. And that was, gosh, I don't even know how many years ago. I'm not going to say it on a podcast, at least. But yeah, let's not do that. We're not yeah. going to mention the graduation no, years. But it's been um, a few years. We'll just say that where I teach in the same classroom that we had our senior year in, you know, so we haven't really had much updates to the school in the last, I don't even know how long. So it was important to keep up with the times. It was important to provide our students with classroom space that met the hands-on experiences that they should get. It was important to kind of give our kids up-to-date equipment. And so that is what the expansion kind of has done for us. It's allowed us to build buildings and classrooms that can, you know, keep us going for the next hundred years. It's allowed us to, you know, provide our students with equipment and supplies that they would see in the industry. The school had applied for an 
MSBA grant. I don't even remember how many years ago, but I want to say it was about five or six years ago. And that is what we've, that's the grant that we've kind of gone through the last few years to build this building. And so we're pretty excited about it. We will be expanding. Animal science will actually be doubling in size. So for some of your students who are listening, we might have jobs opening up in the next few years. So that might be kind of a a viable option for some of your students. Um, But we'll be expanding. We'll be doubling as a department. Like I mentioned before, we're also going to be adding a new major of environmental technology. And so we're going to be able to have even more students join our campus Already as it stands every single year, you know, we, we add in about, I think it's about 125 students a year and we have a waiting list a mile long. There's lots of kids that want to get into our program, but we just don't have the space. So this expansion has a, and will allow us to, you know, bring in a lot more students. Uh, we're going to go from an enrollment currently, I think we have around 450 and I think we're going to go to about 625 somewhere around there. So it is, you know, something that, and we've talked about this before, it's a little bit bittersweet for for me, just because, um, you know, we were this small school with these old buildings, and it had a lot of nostalgia, you know, walking through and, um, you know, we're going to be in these brand new, nice, huge buildings that are going to be great for our future students. But, you know, it's going to be kind of sad to see some of the other buildings go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, every time I visit the school, there's always some small improvements. Um, this one is, uh, th- this latest expansion is totally going to reshape the campus. But, you know, as I visited from time to time, for example, I see new, uh, newer newer sports fields. I remember when we were there, you know, the, the cow pasture doubled as the soccer field. But, you know, that, that was fun. Um, but it's always great to see um, the school always improving each time I visit. So how can uh, prospective students uh, that are interested in attending Bristol Aggie, how can they learn more about the school? For freshmen that are coming in? Yeah, freshmen coming in. Um, So we have a person who actually handles all of our admissions. Um, She goes out to various different schools and does programs for them. During COVID year, it's a little bit it's a little bit different because, you know, we can't actually go into to schools at this point. So they have um, a totally different way of, of reaching students right now. Uh, but a typical year, they normally, most schools would have all of the vocational schools that are in the area come in and those schools will do a presentation to the students, uh, eighth graders. And then eighth graders do have to apply. Vocational schools across Massachusetts, they most of them do have a waiting list. It's an application process. I always tell people who ask me, you know, they'll ask, how do I get my child in? And it all has to do with their grades, their attendance, their discipline report. So as long as all of those things are good, they usually have no problems getting into the vocational schools, but the vocational schools are hard. They're hard to get into these days just because a lot of students want to want to go to them. So I always tell people, keep your grades up, make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to doing, make sure you're going to school. And if you're doing all of the right things, then you have a leg up. It's just like getting into college, right? It's like you always tell your students that, you know, you have to keep your grades up, have good attendance, you know, have good relationships with the people who you're asking letters of recommendations to. It's kind of the same idea, except we're on a much younger realm. Great. Thanks for the insight. And for students that want to know more, you can also go on to bristolaggy.org, bristolaggy.org. My guest today has been Leslie Blanchett. She is a teacher and chair of the animal science department at Bristol County Agricultural High School, also affectionately known as Bristol Aggie. 
Thank you, Leslie. This has been such a great talk. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Academic Veterinarian Podcast. You can find all the resources and links discussed on today's program in the episode's show notes. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. So send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for future episodes to theacademicvet at gmail.com. Bye.